Let's get on with the subject tonight or today. We're going to talk about anxiety. And we're going to talk about our spiritual warfare. So anxiety and our spiritual warfare. And I will tell you, the two absolutely go together hand in hand. I'll also tell you that whether you know it or not, whether you want to be a participant in this or not, there is a battle that's going on. There's a war that's raging all around you. It's a war in the heavenlies. It's a war in the realm of the Spirit. And it's not something you have to want to be a part of. You are part of it, whether you want to be or not. The only question is whether you're going to do something about it or not. And so Americans are anxious. In fact, I did a little checking uh, in the last few days just to see what I could find in headlines. And these are some of the headlines that I find. In the Reader's Digest, there's an article that tells us that Americans are more stressed than ever before. Imagine that. Reader's Digest. You know, that, that, that wonderful bastion of Americana where we always used to go to be encouraged. And now we're reading in the Reader's Digest that Americans are more stressed than ever before. Uh, in the HomelandSecurity.com website, we read, Americans are more worried about crime than ever before. That's right. Homeland Security is telling us that you're more worried about crime than ever before. In Time Magazine, there's an article that's, that, that is entitled, Fear in America, Why We're More Afraid Than Before. Then in theconversation.com, we read that Americans are more anxious than before. And then in The Atlantic magazine, there's an article from a couple of years ago, Americans are more worried about terrorism than they were. Wow, this is really something. We're worried about crime. We're worried about terrorism. We're worried about... that. Hey, it almost sounds like somebody should just write an article. Chicken Little is concerned that the sky is falling. My goodness. Wow. It doesn't take long if you're online any time at all to see people just like you and I who are so worried at everything that's happening around us. We look at the... Uh, We look at some of the things that are happening. We look at the transvestite reading time in the library, for instance. We're very concerned about this. We look at the state of our nation when it comes to abortion. And we're frightened half to death because we know that God is going to judge us eventually as a nation if we're going to murder the most vulnerable amongst us. These are good concerns. We look at what's happening in our public schools. How order has apparently broken down altogether. We do have school teachers here. And they have to deal with the aftermath of this breakdown. Breakdowns that happen in the family first. Either because the parents are not together or because the parents are refusing to be parents and allowing the children to essentially run the household. And we're worried about these things. And there is some reason to be worried about these things. What is it that we should do about them? However, when I look around and I read the Bible, I note that the message of the Bible is not worry and prosper. The message in the Bible is that we should not worry. We should not be anxious. We should not be fearful. And so I want to talk about that today. 
Because I think it's a very important subject for us to understand. Because if we're going to walk in faith as God has called us to do, that we can indeed succeed and have an impact upon our world, then I would submit to you that the worry that we indulge in all too often is getting in the way of us doing what God would have us to do. Listen, I'm telling you, this worry isn't even particularly recent. In 1971, Don McLean recorded and released a song that was entirely about the death of the American dream called Bye Bye Miss American Pie. The Washington Post, a reporter from their interview, Don McLean in 2015. And in the article that came out of that, McLean opined that he did not see where things had improved since the day he first released the song. Therefore, he remained gloomy about the state of the United States. Hey, listen, on a personal level, I can entirely relate. I can. I can entirely relate. Look, I see everything else that's happening. I really do. But there's so much more. In the last four months, Annette and I have dealt with her mom having a stroke, finding Annie a good skilled nursing facility where she could live. We dealt with a flooded basement that caused literally tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage. And then we've dealt with my wife's own health scare with her heart. And, of course, a very difficult last two semesters in school, largely because of all the other stressors. Indeed, I, too, see all the reasons for gloom that lay as a heavy, stuffy blanket threatening to smother our nation and people. But what is it that Scripture actually says about this subject? Hey, listen, let's not fool ourselves. Scripture is quite clear. Quite clear that uh, difficult times will, will come. In Jeremiah 30, verse 7, we read the prophet saying, Oy, for that day is monumental. There will be none like it. A time of trouble for Jacob. Yet out of it he will be saved. Jeremiah the prophet sees a time of trouble coming for Jacob, for Israel. A lot of people think it might be a lot more than just Israel that's affected. Maybe the whole world. In Matthew twenty four twenty one, Yeshua speaks about the same time. And he says, for then there will be great trouble, such as has not happened since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So Yeshua sees this terrible time coming, which is going to see great trouble, such as has never been or never will be again. Paul leaves us with the cheery thought in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Messiah Yeshua will be persecuted. Wow. That's a promise for you. Isn't that the first promise you want to remind yourself of every morning? Maybe not. Hmm. Paul, he talks about his own um, concerns at a certain point. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23-33, we read from Paul that he was in labors much more in prisons much more, in beatings more brutal, near death often. Five times from the Jewish leaders I received forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I spent in the open sea. In my many journeys I have been in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, Dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the desert, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brothers, in labor and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, 
often without food, in cold and exposure. Besides these other things, there's daily pressure on me of concern for all of Messiah's communities. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is led into sin and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast of my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Yeshua, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. <coughs> In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was lowered in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I want to return to this in just a minute. But consider also what Paul tells Timothy. And you need to understand at the time that he's telling Timothy this, this is Paul's last letter that he wrote. Second Timothy, the last letter that he wrote. He wrote it maybe just months before he was put to death in a rather cruel and harsh way under the Roman Emperor Nero, whose name has become synonymous with cruelty. And Paul is telling Timothy at this point that he needs to stand up under hardship. As a good soldier. Stand up under hardship as a good soldier. Now this is my message to every one of us today to include myself. God is calling us to stand up to hardship as good soldiers. Because whether we like it or not, as I said before, as I began with, we are in the midst of a spiritual battle and we are part of it. And we need to be fighting this spiritual battle as good soldiers fight the battle that their commander gives them to fight. We have a general. His name is Yeshua. And he has called us to fight this battle alongside him. He has prepared us for this battle. In fact, He's equipped us for it. I'm not sure that we always put on the equipment that He's given us for it, but He has equipped us for it. He's given us a weapon. The weapon is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. He's given us spiritual armor with which to ward off all the flaming arrows of the evil one. He's given us everything we need. He's even given us training. He's given us leaders that train us, that minister from the Word of God on a weekly basis, that we might be built up in our most holy faith, that we might do the work that God has given us to do. You see, that's my job. My job is not to be the minister here. That's your job. You guys are the ministers here. My job is to prepare the ministers to go out and do the ministry that God has called you to do. That's right. You're the ministers. God has called you to be part of this battle. He's called you to be part of the war that is going on. It is not a war between God and Satan. Let me make that very clear. This is not a war between God and Satan. That, that, that has already been decided long, long, long ago. That was decided. This war is for the souls of all of mankind and it's for creation. That's the war that we're fighting. The war for the souls of man and the war for creation. And we are the chief combatants in this against all of the, den the denizens of hell. So Satan and all of his demonic spirits are fighting in order to possess the creation that God gave to us. That's the battle. And you see, this is exactly why I say 
whether you want to be part of it or not, you're part of creation, so you're in this war. You understand that in World War II, if you lived in Europe, you were part of World War II, whether you wanted to be or not, weren't you? It didn't matter. The bombs were falling. The bullets were flying. And there was no way you could avoid being part of that battle. There was no such thing as neutrality. Neutrality meant nothing. If you were in those countries, you were in the war regardless of how you felt about it. You are just as certainly in this war today. My advice is fight it, even as you've been told that you must. So I wish to spend a few minutes exploring what Scripture tells us then, therefore, about what the attitude of a disciple, a true follower of Yeshua, should be in light of the times of concern, stress, and worry that we all live in. And every one of us live in times of concern, stress, and worry. In John 14, 22 through 30, we read this. Yehuda, Judah, not the one from Creote, said to him, Master, what has happened that you are about to reveal yourself to us and not the world? Yeshua answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while dwelling with you. But the Helper, the Ruach HaKodesh, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of everything that I said to you. Wow! God is so good to us that in our time of need, He has sent to us the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, in order to help us with all the things that we need help with so that we could understand, so that we could better take on the task that God has given us to take on. How many of you know that God does very little, that He does not do without one of His human subjects to do it? Raise your hands if you know this. There is almost nothing that God does that He has not called one of His people to do. So we were talking about praying through this morning. I said, do you know what it means to pray through? And then I defined it. Praying through is very simply this. It's when you go into your prayer closet and you're praying. You pray until the point where God has either told you that you don't need to pray about that thing anymore, or until you have clearly heard from Him of what you're to do about that thing. Might be a first step, might be a second, third, fourth step. But you wait in prayer until you have heard His commandment. And then at that point you have prayed through. So what do you do when you've heard His voice in prayer? What do you do then? You go do it. And then you go back to your prayer closet and you pray again. And to pray through again, you must once again pray until one or two things happens. Either God tells you you don't need to pray about that anymore, or else God gives you another step that He wants you to take in that process. This is praying through, and this is one of the ways that we fight this battle that God has given us to fight because we're in it whether we want to be or not. You know what? It's not even so much because God wants us to be in it. It's because of our own sins that we're in this battle. And so the question is, are we going to listen to Father God and let Him direct us so that we can actually do something useful in this battle 
and come out of it in better shape than we went into it? Or are we going to hide our heads as an ostrich in the sand and avoid the battle we need to fight? Pretty rough if we don't fight the battle. So he's given us the Holy Spirit. And then Yeshua says these words, which are particularly important, I think, in light of the concern, stress, and anxiety that uh, so many seem to allow to direct their lives. What should, how, you, how should your life be directed? Should it be directed by stress, worry, the, worry and anxiety? Should it, should it be directed by faith? Of course, faith. And yet I'll tell you, so many of us allow our decisions to be made by our worries, our fears, our concerns, our anxieties, the stressors that are around us. And we make our decisions based on what we can't do because of what we see with our physical eyes rather than what God has called us to do. So God calls you to do something. And to you it looks silly or imprudent or too expensive. Or it might make you look foolish. And you don't do it based on what your eyes see. You see the problem? Or you don't do it based on the lack you think you have. You remember the children of Israel? They had wanted to send spies into the land, right? And so they sent spies into the land. Twelve spies, one from each of the tribes. And these spies come back. And they're just brimming over with good news about what they saw in the land. Oh, it's a rich land flowing with milk and honey, they said. Look at the grapes that we brought. Wow. Then after that, ten of the twelve gave an evil report. Not just that they were negative about it. Scripture tells us it was an evil report. They said, oh, but the people of the land are, are too big. There's giants that live there. We cannot go up and possess the land. Now, you remember, God had just told them they were going to go up and possess the land and that they could surely do it. And they're telling God, no, we're not going to do it because we can't do it. God, you're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. We were as grasshoppers in their eyes, and so are we in our own eyes. Are you a grasshopper or are you a servant of the Most High God? Amen. You saw their stress their worries, their anxieties on full display. And that stress, that worry, that anxiety that they were allowing to make their decisions for them were based on lack of faith in God leading to fear. How many times do you allow your fears to dictate to you what you will or won't do. So shalom I leave you, Yeshua says. My shalom I give to you, but not as the world gives. In fact, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world around you. Yeshua's good news is that He gives us peace and not as the world gives He says, do not let your heart be troubled or afraid. You've heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. 
I've told you now before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer for the ruler of this world is coming. He has nothing on me because I've conquered him is what Yeshua is telling us. But in order that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me to include hanging on an instrument of Roman torture and allowing his life to be bled out after he was beaten half to death. You know, the irony is he'd already won the victory. Isn't that true? You think about it. He had already won the victory. He won that victory before the foundations of the earth were laid. And yet he hung on that instrument of Roman torture for the singular reason that we needed his help and we needed forgiveness for our sins and we needed to have our relationship to God restored for what reason? So that we can fight the battle that we must fight and that we are in, whether we want to be or not. Wow. John 10, 1 through 5, 7 through 17, and 25 through 30. Lengthy passage. Just want to go through it real quick though. Amen and amen, I tell you. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. But he who enters through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger, but will run away from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Because we read in the verse immediately following that Yeshua said these words to see what the reaction was going to be of the people. Well, it's obvious that his interlocutors, those who he's trying to teach, did not get the point. So he continues again. So Yeshua said again, Amen and Amen, I tell you. I am the gate for the sheep. There was this big question. His interlocutors kept on asking, tell us clearly, are you the Messiah? Are you the one to come? And Yeshua is pressing them. He's really pushing them on this. He's pushing them. Make up your mind. You tell me who you think I am. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? If you say he is your Lord and your God, then the question is, do you really believe that? Because if you really believe that, your actions will show it. Because if you say he's Lord and God, you're saying that he is the creator of all, that he has mastery over all things, that there is nothing that happens that he doesn't know about, including in your life. And therefore, he also has authority over you to the point that he can tell you anything that he desires you to do. And because he has authority over you, yes, sir, I'm going to go and do that no matter what it costs. I will understand that you're with me through thick and thin that you'll always be with me, that you have provided for me, that you will provide for me. And you'll go and do it, if you really believe that he's Lord and God. 
Now, if you're saying he's Lord and God because it's a religious mantra that people say because they're supposed to say that Yeshua is Lord and God if they're Christians, if they're Messianic Jewish believers. But you see, by our actions, we show what we really believe. And if we're just saying a religious mantra, yes, he's Lord and God, but we don't really believe it. Our actions will demonstrate that, won't they? And we will stand on the sideline, we'll moan and groan about how tough our lives are. Or we'll moan and groan about how little we can do because we don't have the ability to. We were reading about Moses doing that this morning. Oh my Lord, I'm a stutterer. I don't speak clearly. God got a little aggravated with him at that point. Did you note that? Got a little aggravated with him. He said, well, I note that your brother Aaron speaks just fine, so go out and do what I told you to do. Are you going to let your fear dictate to you what you're going to do when you know that God has called you? To do whatever the thing is he has called you to. So Yeshua said again, Amen and Amen, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone comes in through me, he will be saved. He will come and go and find pasture. Do you believe that? He's saying he's going to provide for you throughout whatever it is he is calling you to do, whatever the sacrifices that doing that thing are going to require, he is going to be with you. He is going to give you good pasture. The thief comes only to steal, slaughter, and destroy. Don't listen to the fears that the devil will try to put on you. There are lies because the devil has come but to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, though, that they might have life and have it abundantly. Do you believe that God desires you to live abundantly? Then do with your life what, what, what words of true faith would demonstrate. Don't allow your life to be dictated to you by your fears or your concerns or your feelings of unworthiness or your feelings you don't have enough money or whatever else it is that is separating you from truly doing the will of God. I am the good shepherd. Is he the good shepherd? Is he your good shepherd? He's my good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Whether we believe it or not. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you hear that? He is with you. So near to you. So with you each and every day. He lays down his life for you. The hired worker is not the shepherd and the sheep are not his own. He sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and flees. Then the wolf snatches and scatters the sheep. The man is only a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, he repeats. Well, ask yourself the question, do you really believe he is not just the good shepherd, but your good shepherd? Because if he is, your actions are going to demonstrate it. I've been asked many times, how do I know if I'm saved? Let me make it real simple. You'll know if you're saved by what you do regarding the question of Yeshua and His commandments upon your life.
That's how you know if you're saved. He then says, after saying he's the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. He knows you. He knows you. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows what you feel. He knows your insecurities. He knows the places where you think you're unworthy. He knows the places where you have a real lack of faith and you need to pick it up. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Wow. He lays down His life for us. I have other sheep that are not from this fold. Those also I must lead and they will listen to my voice. So there shall be one flock, one shepherd. Now what he was talking about there was he was talking about the Gentiles. That after he had completed his earthly life and his ministry to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he was going to send his disciples to the nations. Sheep from another fold, but they belonged to him. Now, how did he go to all these sheep from another fold through all of the thousands of years since Yeshua left this earth? He went through his people who he called to go out as missionaries and evangelists and he sent them forth to do the work that he had called them to do, which was to make disciples of all nations. And guess what? That is your job. You're supposed to be out making disciples of all nations. Pretty easy in the United States today because all the nations are right here in Wichita. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again, this command I received from my Father. Do you believe He has that authority, or do you not? This is the question each of us needs to ask ourselves. And if we truly believe it, then we need to get over ourselves, and we need to get over our fears, and we need to go out and do exactly what He has called us to do. And if you say you haven't heard what He's called you to do yet, then you haven't prayed through. So go back to point one, pray through, hear what He's calling you to do, and then go and do it. That's that's His Word. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's not to simply say you believe the right thing. It's to then show that you truly believe that thing and you go out and do what that thing requires you to do. And if you're going to be a disciple of Yeshua, what it requires you to do first and foremost is to go and make disciples of all nations. Yeshua answered them, I told you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify concerning me, but you don't believe because you are not my sheep. Wow, there's some that aren't His sheep, and there's some that won't listen to you either, just like they didn't listen to Him. Does that mean you should not go to them? No. It means you go anyways. Just as he did. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Wow, he is really pushing. I give them eternal life. Only God can give eternal life, folks. 
So are you willing to push your interlocutors when you know it could cost you your life when you stand up boldly for the Lord Yeshua? Well, the answer to that depends on whether you really believe your own propaganda. If you say Yeshua is your Lord and your God, then you're going to do exactly what He commands you to do, right? And you're going to do everything you need to do to find out what His command is, and then you're going to go do it. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now this is free for you. It's a little bit off subject. But there's this question that has risen within the world of believers, and it is the question of once saved, always saved. I never get into that question anymore, and I won't get into debates about it. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It's a silly debate. The fact is, if I don't walk out of Yeshua's hand, then there isn't any power on earth or in the heavenlies that can take me out of His hand. So unless I walk out of his hand, then I'm in no danger whatsoever, am I? Even if sometimes I screw up royally, and I do, sometimes, not as often as I once did, but sometimes. And I think, Lord, man, that was really stupid. Why did I do that? I can't lose my salvation, though. And the devil can't take it from me. There's no way anyone can snatch me out of his hands, out of God's hands. So how should we live in the midst of these times? How should we live when we're faced with worry, when we're faced with stress, when we're faced with anxiety, when we're faced with fear that is making us think, no, I just can't go serve God? In Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Rob Shaul, the Apostle Paul, tells us this Rejoice in the Lord always. When? Always. When? 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 Louder. Louder. Always. Not just when things are going good. Not just when there's a smile on our face. Not just when we see the victory in our near future. But always. When things are the most difficult, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is near. Ah, here we go. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about what? 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 Anything. So don't be anxious about the money. Don't be anxious about the job. Don't be anxious about the son or daughter who's a real problem. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about the flooded basement. Don't be anxious about the report from the doctor that you might have clogged up arteries. Don't be anxious about the school assignments you got to get done. Don't be anxious about this little weakness that you see in yourself that you think makes you unfit to do whatever He has called you to do. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. In what? Everything. In what? In what? Everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so you start praying and your worries are pressing in and you're feeling like you can't pray. What do you do? You keep praying. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray until the heavens no longer feel like brass, until it seems like your message is getting through, until God has heard you, and until you have heard from Him. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And wow, this is good news. This is really good news. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Messiah Yeshua. It will guard your heart. The place of faith, the seed of true faith. But it will also guard your mind that the devil can't continually try to say to you, I've still got power over you. No, he doesn't. If you're in Yeshua, you have power over the devil, not the other way around. And so if you've got power of the devil, why in the world are you anxious? He's the one should be anxious. And my question to you is, are you making the devil anxious? You know what makes the devil anxious? When he sees the child of God get down on their knees and they're praying and they're refusing to let Satan have his way with them, then the devil gets anxious and he's the one that ought to be anxious, not you. Philippians 4.8 Paul continues and he tells us, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any virtue and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Another key to living the victorious life in the midst of a life of stress and anxiety and worry and fear. Let your mind think on things that are admirable. Read books that are of quality, that are going to encourage you in your walk with God. I love the stories of the old missionaries because they're full of faith. These are people who battled the devil himself standing right before the gates of hell and the gates of hell could not overcome them. And when I read stuff like that, ah, it strengthens my faith. Because you find out that these people are not so unlike you and I. They had their own concerns. They had their own fears. They had their own problems. William Carey had a wife who was mentally ill. And yet he became known as the father of India. Because of his great faith. I want to close with this. Matthew 16, 18. We read these words. And I say also unto you that you are Cephas. And upon this rock I will build my congregation. And the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. The gates of hell shall not prevail over it. 
Now, now what does that tell us about where this battle is taking place? Where's this battle taking place, folks? I want you to think through this with me. Where's this battle taking place? Is it taking place on our turf or is it taking place on the devil's turf? I didn't hear anyone. Is it taking place on our turf or the devil's turf? The devil's. Before the gates of hell. He's not on the attack. We're on the attack if we properly understand it. And so why do we act like, why do we act like we're the ones that are so hard pressed? I'm not saying life's not tough. Life is tough. It's very tough. Those articles noted how tough it is. The Bible tells us that it's going to be hard. The life of a soldier is hard. And the life of a soldier is one of hardship. And yet, our call from God is to walk with Him as good soldiers enduring that hardship. The fact of the matter is, though, Yeshua is in you. His Holy Spirit is with you. All of the authority of the Holy Spirit is within you, therefore. And He has called you to do what He's called you to do. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You need to pray through and figure it out if you haven't already. Then go do it. Go on the attack. For once, I want you to feel that it's not you that's under the devil's thumb, but that the devil who is anxious because you're on your knees praying and because you're doing exactly what God has called you to do, and that's the thing that Satan fears more than anything else, for the child of God to hear the voice of God and then in obedience go and do exactly what God has called his child to do. And what was Yeshua's promise to us? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this good? Stand up and give a shout to God. Stand up and give a shout to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you've called us. We thank you that you've empowered us. We thank you you've given us your Ruach HaKodesh. We thank you that you've given us authority. We thank you that you have strengthened us. We thank you that we are fighting the enemy. We are fighting before the gates. He's not before our gates. We're before his gates. We are winning the victory in the Lord Yeshua. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! You know, sometimes you need to remind yourself of these things. And then walk in victory. Amen? Amen. Go ahead and bring the kids in.